That's more like it. I often wondered why Aunt Aggie was always so angry. But you're going to need a new shirt. And shoes, not boots. Shoes. Compared to Mam, she had everything, and she didn't have any kids to keep her poor. And here she is at Roach's stores, buying me clothes for my new job. That's grand. Now, here's two shillings to get tea and a bun for your birthday. God, you look so smart. People will think you've robbed a bank. So that was a clip from the heartbreaking Angela's Ashes, one of the many feature films which our next guest played. Memorable and very emotive roles, but you probably know her best for her role as Mrs Doyle in Father Ted. But her relationship with the late Dermot Morgan began some time earlier on Scrap Saturday when she played, as she says, all the women in Ireland. This Sligo native, she's many, many strings to her bow, comfortable treading the boards and on the small screen and the big screen. She's also the author of eight best-selling books. And tomorrow night, she debuts on East End. Good morning, Pauline. You're very welcome to the show. How are you? I am very well. Um, It's lovely to be up in the morning instead of just sleeping in bed thinking, well, maybe I won't get up today, Uh, which is my favourite. Sleeping is my favourite thing, Nora. I've got to tell you that. You know when people say, uh, well, I'll sleep when I'm dead. No, they won't. The happy thing about sleeping is that you wake up and you think, I had a great sleep (laughs) and that's not being dead. On Sunday mornings, all our listeners are just lazily lying around in bed while we're up (laughs) and in the studio. EastEnders tell us who you're playing what happened there I don't know Um, but I seem to be in EastEnders now I've done one episode so far which means that I I don't know any more than anybody is going to know after they've seen the episode I I was given a sheet uh, telling me who Yvonne Cotton is but I don't know what she's up to. So what I do know so far is that she seems to have been married to Nick Cotton, who's Dot's son, um, who seems to be dead now. Nasty piece of work he was oh, too. Oh, nasty Nick mm. Cotton, definitely. Um, but uh, they have had this rather gorgeous uh, son uh, played by Declan Bennett. If I had bothered to have kids, Nora, they would have been fabulous. If if my showbiz kids are anything to go by. Anyway, um, I'm his mum and I'm in now and everybody will know that there's something going on. Are you nice? Well, I'm not really, actually. No. And I, I saw a whole load of stuff on, on the internet saying, oh, that'll be great now. There'll be a bit of comedy or there'll be a bit of lightness going into EastEnders. No, I don't think so. Not for me, anyway. This woman never smiles. And if she does smile, you need to be worried. It means she's up to something terrible. Yeah. How much time does it take up? You've done, there's one, the first episode is tomorrow night, Monday night. So, but, sure. but how much time per week do you have to devote to it? Well, I'm only going to pop in and out. They, they're going to... They're calling it a guest appearance. Who knows what that means? It could mean that by Christmas, I am slaughtering all of Albert Square. We don't know because um, it's so Yay, you know. So it's like Albert Square. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they they generally do, don't they? You know, coming up to Christmas, there'll be a, the, you know a plane will crash into the square or something like that, driven by me. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we've got the storyline right here. Um, I don't know. Like I've done the first episode. But that only really was two days, you know, of me five weeks ago uh, doing that. I'm going to do another few days in a few weeks' time. So nobody's going to see me again till August. So we're not going to know what I'm up to. And neither will I until August. It's kind of crazy. But it's a bit like life as well. I suppose that's why people love soaps, isn't it? It's because it's, it's just heightened life. It's everything that could happen in your life 
but happening every half an hour, you know, every night of the week. And I kind of love that. Listen, yeah. do you have an Irish accent in it? I do. I'm an Irish woman, yeah. Ooh. And what they um, what they did say on, on the sheet that I was given about who she is and why she's upset with, you know, his his obsession with um, his grandmother and, and all of that is, they said she's an Irish Mrs. Danvers. And that's, I don't know if you remember yes. the film, Rebecca, and it's one of the, she's one of the great characters, isn't she, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Danvers? I wanted to ask you just about To Scrap Saturday and, yeah. and how that came about. Given that you've spent most of your life, from what you've told me, being a great student, you know, your aspirations <laughs> to go and learn more, a third level education, mm-hmm. then suddenly you're on Scrap Saturday. I know. Well, it comes from Trinity, actually. I, I went to Trinity um, to study, ostensibly, to study history of art and modern English. And I joined the um, Drama Society Immediately. Uh, the first week, it wasn't even the week of lectures. It was kind of freshers week, you know, where everybody's going, hey, look, here's here's university. And I recommend it to anyone. Even if you waste your three or four years at university, they're not a waste. They're fabulous. Um, so I joined the Drama Society and then that was the end of it, really, for me. Well, when did you discover you were funny? Years. Oh, God. I, I, well, you see, <laughs> you say I'm funny. I don't think so. Um, I couldn't listen to me all day or even for a little part of the day. I, I suppose I, I kind of, weirdly in Trinity, um, I I was more administrative than anything else in the drama society. I was bossy. Uh, Nora, I was you. I was organised. <laughs> I was bossy. Um, I told people what they should be doing, whether I was right or not, who knows. Um but uh, it was only like in the latter stages of it that I started to act. And how I ended up in Scrap Saturday quite literally is because Jerry Stembridge, the the wonderful and, and talented Irish man, but he used to review for what the Irish press, which was still a newspaper um, in Ireland at the time. And he reviewed a few of the performances that I had done when I in the later stages of players and when I left college he was working in RTE and he said do you want to come and, and do some stuff here I did of course I wanted to do that we did a series called Nothing To It which was kind of like the Irish young ones if anything we, we were supposed to be educational so every week we did um, a job. You know, we'd say, oh, if you want to be a journalist, here's a little drama about it, a comedy drama about it, and here's a chat about how you might get into it. So it'd be like 20 minutes of madcap three people sharing a flat and then they'd be trying out for this job every week and there'd be a little discussion about how you might do the job. That was our educational bit. Um, but mostly we were getting this really funny um, series under the, it, under the, the, the you know the lamplight if you like and Dermot Morgan saw it he took down the names at the end of the roller one night and he rang Jerry Stembridge and said do you want to do a, a review a, a political review of the week and that was how Scrap Saturday started and they went oh well we might as well get Pauline in to be all of the women in Ireland so I was all of the women in Ireland for a few years it was, was, really it, was it the start of a lasting friendship with Dermot? Yes uh, uh, weirdly though when Father Ted came around I hadn't worked with Dermot in a while and we were cast separately. But, you know, um, 
it seemed to make sense, I suppose, in the end. And Frank Kelly, of course, was in it. And How did you end up in Father Ted? Was it difficult to get cast for it? Um, yeah, uh, nobody saw me for ages. Because uh, you were young, like you played an old woman. That's right, yeah. And sadly, I'm getting there now. People, You're only 38, remember more. that. I, I know 38. Yeah. I, I may have been... 38 as well. Pauline, I, I think you're 90 when I look at all the things you've achieved. So there's a Dorian Gray thing going on here. Um, oh, well, the Father Ted thing, yeah, that I knew that there was, um, you know, a brilliant thing being cast and I wasn't being seen for it. And I'll tell you why I say a brilliant thing being cast was uh, nobody had seen a funny Irish sitcom before. But then this arrived in from England. Now, it must be said, it was made in England, you know, and it came from England and it came from the Irish being over there. And I think at the time that was the way it needed to happen. You know, it couldn't have come from here then. Um, But like here now, loads of good things are happening. However... In that day, I was doing a show in the Abbey and uh, one of the guys in the show was being seen for one of the parts in it. And he, he gave me a look at it. He said, I can't believe they're not seeing you for anything in this. And the most, uh, I suppose the mostest role, if we might call it that, was Mrs Doyle. And I had a little look and I thought, oh God, why are they not seeing me for this? And by the time that they hadn't found a Mrs Doyle, the circus had left town and I just went out to the Hubbards who were here at the time, um, uh, living off the South Circular Road. I had had a very bad chicken sandwich the night before. I looked very old and very <laughs> ill. And I went in and without vomiting, quite frankly, um, I did, you know, my little audition piece. And I'll tell you what it was. It was the bit where it's still in um, Father Ted. It's the bit where uh, Mrs. Doyle in the first series is saying to Father Ted about the Irish novelist who's arrived, the woman novelist who's arrived onto the island. The sexy the, woman. Yeah. Mm. Did you ever? Gemma Craven. Was it? Did you ever read any of her stuff? Did you, Father? And it, it's all swearing. And clearly, although she says she's never read one of her books, she has read them all. <laughs> Mrs. Doyle was, well, she was a unique character and she's gone down in history and the annals of history uh, as the Mrs. Doyle moments. But the thing about it was she wasn't the one that was that was funny. She was she was un- unintentionally funny, but there was also a lot of slapstick. She was always falling out windows and tripping yeah. over herself and mm-hmm. not able to see properly. Uh, truly, it made my father laugh until his leg nearly fell off. Because um, <laughs> when I was young, I fell over everything. He used to call me awkward Annie, but I would fall over my own shadow. So when I was, pu- you know, paid to fall over, he couldn't believe it. He thought that was the funniest thing ever. Whatever about the falling over. So yeah, the falling over was great for me, and I, I do love all of that. I, I suppose sometimes I'm hard to pigeonhole. I think, as an actor, because um, I do love throwing myself around. I do love making people laugh. But equally, I love making them go, oh, you know, as well. Yeah. Um, was it? I suppose you must have got quite close to each other when you were, you know, working in such, you know, close proximity. Was it very hard when Dermot passed away? Uh, yeah, I mean... Me and Dermot, you know, um, we'd done Scrap Saturday for, you know, however many seasons we did. And um, 
And in answer to anybody who asked, were we axed? We kind of were, but we weren't asked back. You know, I mean, that that was the axing of it. Um, rather more than anything more explosive than that. Um, so I'd known him then, and we'd catch up with one another, usually around Christmas, and disgrace ourselves around Dublin. I mean, really, just... You know, he gate crashed my wedding actually on uh, New Year's Eve. Do in, you see? In '96, uh, I rest my case. Uh, you know, with Derek. well, actually, I, that, that was one way to you know, the, the bride didn't get a look, and they were all running around him saying, Give us an autograph. And he yeah. kept writing, uh, Father Jack for Pope, and all the napkins in the yeah. beautiful dining room. It, uh, you know, you can't beat it, it's fabulous. He was the one who taught me how to do the apology tour as well, which is you know, the after following the morning. night, that, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes if you have any class at all, you'll either replace what you drank in the person's house or give them flowers, you know, and the apology. So, you know, you do need a good driver to bring you around though, who, who can remember where exactly you need to deliver the apology to her. Um, but yeah, they, uh, Dermot, he was just one of these incredibly electric people, you know, that was never happy with what he had because he knew that there was more to be had and so when we did Father Ted together as well that was kind of strange for us because he wasn't in charge of that like you know we were all just guns for hire and we did it and you could see that as much as he loved doing Ted he wanted to be doing something else something of his own and everything so when the call came that he he was dead it was actually a few hours after he had died. I, I was in London and the phone call came from John Fisher, who was his assistant at the time. And he said, Dermot's had a heart attack. So I said, oh, what hospital is he in? When will we see him? You know, and he went, no, he's dead. Um, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, in a way, I wonder... And this this is horrible for anybody, obviously, and like myself, who's who's lost people. But I wonder if that was the way for him to go, you know, in a blaze of glory, totally in a blaze of glory. Within 12 hours of finishing the last Father Ted ever, he he was gone. Uh, you know, so it uh, as a statement, it's kind of magnificent. I still wish he was around. Of course I do. I think, you know, first of all, it was like somebody who lived in your sitting room for quite a period of time passing away. There's a lot of collective mourning for him. But that mm. sense of unfulfilled potential, like when mm. I think about you, I think there must have been a little genetic trait running through both of you because the journey from Father Ted to EastEnders, which we're talking about today, has <laughs> no, been... Madness. Not <laughs> madness. It's been incredible, actually. I know that you you kind of dine out and being self-disparaging, which is extraordinary given that you've eight best-selling novels, you're comfortable in theatre doing Beckett, you've done so many different series I mean from Father Ted, you've done Angela's Ashes you've done The Aristocrats, you've played this enormous range of characters are you driven in the same way? Do you know what, you know when you you say it like that, I often think I'm telling lies to people you know when I say, oh yeah well I've written eight novels, you know whatever Um, do you know what I mean like I, I just think did I? Um, and could I do it again? I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I've no idea how it, it happened. I just go from one thing to the next. There's no roadmap. There's no plan. No, no, not at all. I, I wish there was. I mean, I suppose, you know, when I get down, and I do, uh, very much so, but I think if you 
can't laugh, then you can't cry either, can you? They, you know, it's they—they they are the two masks, aren't they? That of mm. of theatre and entertainment, it's the laughing and the crying mask. But when I'm down, I I get very down because I think nothing's good enough. Um, but even when I'm up, I think nothing's good enough either. Is that an Irish thing? I don't know. Is it an Irish thing to push yourself no, like people, that? People listening to you will find it extraordinary that you do feel like that. But I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. And I think, oh. you know, when you play all these different characters and, you know, you get very into, and, and I'm thinking particularly about Seamus, you mm. get very deep into the character. Does it actually affect you? Can you leave it behind? Um, it, it can be... It's it's uh, strange and wonderful that you've brought Shameless up um, because that was the closest to a soap that I had ever done before. I've and I had a very strange experience on that as well because I, I got way too involved with all of the series and some of the characters and the actors. And to be honest with you, it kind of broke me. Um, and that's the last time I actually wrote a novel as well. I got burned out writing and um, it was kind of like, it was a big life crisis when that ended. And then, to cap it all off, I got me menopause. Oh, well, lovely. You know, if you're going to kick a girl, do it when she's you down. you only 30 at the time. And me only 30, yeah. And only 38 now, still mm-hmm. battling the menopause. Um, but, you know, what it has done for me, I will say, is that I suppose, you know, it was a big reality check. But I feel so much for anybody who has any trauma or mental health issue, if you like, if we want to call it that. I I feel it's very big sometimes, isn't it? That's me being Irish to call it all of that. But depression, let's say, let's say depression or when you have... a bereavement of any sort. I feel like when I left Shameless and had to, I, I was <laughs> I had to. Um, that's as much as I I can probably say about it at the moment. Um, it was like a bereavement, and I feel for anybody who will ever feel that in their lives or in their career or anything, because it's taken me about three years to get back to being happy again, and. Um, you know, that's, and that's with help. Uh, you know, I and anyone who needs help, I haven't missed a day's work because of it. Uh, you know, being depressed or bereaved for, you know, the life that you think you might have had. Um, I, I really do feel for people who are going through any of that. And Pauline, how do you, so given, you know, life is pretty tough at times and, and especially if you get a lot of stuff all together, you said, I'm I'm happy now, you know, after yeah. those three years. How do you protect yourself now from that happening again? Well, you see, here's the thing, and I don't know how it is for you or for anybody else. I think you're always left a little vulnerable. You know, I think that the older you get, the more vulnerable you are because you've lived. Isn't that it? Does you know, adversity that, sometimes make you a bit stronger too? No, I, I don't think it makes you stronger. I think it I think it leaves you more vulnerable to everything, but you're kind of cuter about how you deal with it, maybe. You know, and I think that the older you get, just the more sensitive you get as well. The whole programme today is about the science of happiness and laughter what makes us laugh what makes us oh happy oh my god and I've just so, gone on such a downer there no 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 I? So, <laughs> <laughs> but what I wondered for somebody mm. like you who's you know obviously given such great comedic talent over the years what makes you laugh what makes you happy oh um, 
very stupid things make me laugh. Very stupid things. Uh, people falling over. <laughs> I can even make myself laugh when I <laughs> fall over. Best of luck with Yvonne. I'm sure we're not going to be falling about the place laughing now when we see your performance tomorrow night as Dot Cotton's estranged daughter-in-law, Yvonne Cotton. But we're going to be all watching and rooting for you. You know, maybe that's why I love EastEnders. It's so miserable that it makes me laugh. There's nothing funnier than misery. Is there nothing funnier than the most unfunny thing in the world. <laughs> and on that note, Polly Midland, thanks for joining us on the programme. We'll be back shortly for more misery here on Mindfeed. <laughs> <laughs>